everybody. This is Kimberly. And this is Katie. And you're listening to A Date with Dateline, Lori Vallow edition. <laughs> part 4,709. Exactly. But every part is just as good. And they somehow keep adding new stuff, which is unbelievable. Did you know a lot of this stuff? No, I mean, I hadn't seen all this new footage that was released. It's very exciting. I hadn't either. I was wondering, it made me think I'm wondering if there were episodes of the podcast that Keith does on it that I had missed that included some of this information. But this was almost entirely new to me. A lot of this stuff. Yeah, it was new to all of us. Yeah. That's exciting. I thought it was going to be a recap of what we knew so far. Absolutely not. I know. I thought I was going to take the day off. I was going to be like, I know all this. It's fine. Be the easiest recap ever. It'll be like 20 minutes. Absolutely not. Thanks a lot, Shane, producer Shane. He was so proud on Twitter at all this new stuff he got to release. But a two hours worth of new stuff is pretty good. Genuinely good job, Shane. Unbelievable. Oh, and we do have morning announcement. I've totally forgot. Ding, ding, ding. Dateline does have a new podcast called... The Thing About Helen and Olga. Do those names sound familiar to anybody? Absolutely not. They should, (laughs) because we did a double date about them, an elder skelter. I can't believe it. From ID Network. I'm so excited. Those are the ladies. Well, I shouldn't give it away in case you haven't listened. If you do want to listen, our episode was July 24th, 2020. And it's very funny. But Keith's podcast, The Thing About Helen and Olga. It's bingeable as of the 16th, which was yesterday, which is in the future from when we're recording this, but yesterday when it was released. So please listen. Dateline just sent us the first episode. So good. It's such a fascinating case. You guys are going to be so into it, I think. Yeah. So good. And thank you so much for sending it to us. Yes. Thank you. Susan goes, I thought you guys might like this because you're from L.A. and you're business partners. And I think she was trying to say like, like these women, (laughs) except very different kind of business. Or is it? Hmm. Is it? We don't know. Maybe. What's in our closets? Whose skeletons are in our closets? And whose portals to other dimensions? Anyways, segue into. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. The Doomsday Files, which is what this episode is called. Okay. This aired on November 12th, 2021, season 30, episode eight, hosted by Keith Morrison and Nate Eaton and his little nephew, Eric. So excited to see them back again. Yeah, they really are just like old friends at this point. Absolutely. If you haven't listened to our previous episodes on this case or on Dateline's previous episodes on this case. You have to. Yeah, I think it's... You You won't understand. Just for your own benefit, just go ch- check something out. You will cause... not understand. So, because I'm not that good of a recapper for you to follow. You are good, but this particular episode is not going to be six hours to go through the minutia of the case. So we're going to talk about this episode. But I think people that probably hadn't watched anything on Lori Vallow before also didn't understand the dateline. no. Absolutely not. It would be, it would need to be a 10 hour dateline. So I would first listen to ours or watch the datelines. And those are where are the children? Mm-hmm. What happened to the children? What happened to JJ and Tylee and Mommy Doomsday, which is also a podcast hosted by Keith, Mommy Doomsday. 
Right. So this is episode number five, Doomsday Files. We are going to be hearing new evidence that has only recently been released. We are going to be seeing Lori talking to the police, Tylee talking to the police, Zulema, professional cuddler and bender of elements, Zulema. I was so excited. I was so excited about Zulema. That's great. We've been begging to see Zulema. Brother Alex talking to the police. We're going to see Lori and Chad once again in Hawaii for the 80th time where she's wearing that skirt with Hawaii on her butt. It's like an old friend at this point. So many exciting new things. Let's jump right in. And new people. New people. New people. Brand new people. That we've never heard from before. We have an NFL player. We have another brother. We have another brother. We've got a brother of someone else. Yeah, it's all sorts of stuff. Puzzle pieces in this strange tale, wild and deadly, which grew perversely from an occasion devoted to piety. That's how Keith starts. I was like, Keith, are you calling these people hypocrites? How dare you? That's preposterous. (laughs) Or is it? Super accurate. It all started in St. George, Utah, where Lori Vallow attended an LDS group called Preparing a People. Chad Daybell was the speaker, the famous author of such books as Living on the Edge of Heaven and One Foot in the Grave. I'm sorry, what? You've never heard of those? They were Reese Witherspoon's book club picks. (laughs) They were the only self-published books to be chosen for her book club. How have you not heard of them? One Foot in the Grave is such an original title as well. (laughs) Never heard that expression before. It's bad. It's like he put those words together in that order, like, and no one else had ever. The thing that's bad is the cover of him popping his head out of the grave. (laughs) Because, and you get it later that like he used to be a grave digger, which is something, a connection that you and I have not talked about before, which we probably should towards one part of this, but just the whole thing is like, I don't know. And I like a play on words. It's too much. And maybe just because it's Chad Daybell. I can't. It doesn't get the Katie play on words approval. It's not clever. The cleverness factor is about negative two. Chad, I'm not impressed. Sorry. It's going to kill him. Not sorry. We get to see our favorite local reporters who have been covering this case since the beginning, Nate Eaton and his little redheaded nephew, Eric Grosserth, even though there's no proof that they are related. It's just what we like to think. And there's also no proof that Eric has graduated from high school or gotten his driver's license yet because he still looks about 15. He's a young man who's growing a mustache and I'm fine with it. Be grateful, Eric, because you look like a young spring chicken. Good job. Yeah, one day you'll kill for that. Just don't kill your children for it. (laughs) How about that? I'd like to think that they have a huge fan club and are like local celebrities and have to sign autographs when they go to the Waffle House and such. They might. They've been on a lot of Dateline. Yeah. I think they've been on a lot of interviews. A lot of interviews. I'm happy for them. This is big. I hope Eric picks up all the ladies at the junior prom. I think Eric might be married. Scandalous. I know. Sorry. So when Lori met Chad, it was an instant fatal attraction. Even though she was married to Charles Vallow who I will point out once again, in my opinion, is cuter than Chad, also richer and nicer Mm -hmm. and Mm non-murderous. We meet Charles's brothers for the first time. Yes. And they say he would have done anything for Lori. 
basically he was a smitten kitten, smitten kitten. We see Lori's son, Colby, who we've seen many times, and he says she was getting more and more into the end of times and kind of saying things like, it doesn't matter that you didn't get that job at Kinko's, Colby. The world is going to end. So that's great motherhood. I'm sorry. Is that the last we see of him? That was a not a new interview, but yeah. And that's it. Yeah. Okay. That was it. We meet for the first time, former NFL quarterback, Scott Mitchell who grew up with Chad. And Keith says, according to Scott, Chad did not chuckle, chuckle, chuckle. Keith is laughing at himself. Light up a room. Thank you, Keith. That was for us. I really want to believe that was for us. That was for a date with Dateline listeners. I felt like it was for us. I could definitely be wrong. I think if there's nothing else, Keith has become self-aware, like a robot coming to life. Yeah. Not that Keith is like a robot, but he has become aware that that is a trope used in Dateline. Yes, absolutely. And people associate it with Dateline. And so it was definitely a wink. I liked it. I loved it. I was like, I can stop watching now. The episode's not going to get any better than that. That was amazing. That was pretty excited. So Scott says that Chad grew up very average and found a way to become something. And then he does some metaphor involving Forrest Gump that I wasn't totally following. I think that he was trying to say it was hard to tell Chad's stories. You don't know what really happened and what didn't. Yes. So let's take Forrest Gump out of it. I think because I think that might have been a mistake. (laughs) I think that what he was trying to say was that Chad was a liar. Yeah. That Chad was an embellisher. And so you didn't know what actually happened to him and what he made up in his head. Yes. And that doesn't mean he didn't believe what he made up in his head, but it might have been not true. That's a great point. Yes. Chad had moved his wife, Tammy, and their five kids to Rexburg, Idaho, where he thought the saved ones would gather for the end times. Why Rexburg? Nobody knows. He was a sexton at a cemetery. Working at a cemetery is a very specific kind of a thing, right? Yeah. It's an interesting job choice, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. So he came to believe that he could talk to the dead and pass through a veil between this world and the next. Cemetery is a perfect place for him. So many people to talk to. I guess what I'm trying to say is working in a mortuary is a business. Does that make sense? Yeah. You're a business person. You're in the business of death, sure, but you're like coordinating stuff. Being a grave digger? It's a whole nother thing. I think you would start to believe that you could talk to, I think you would start to believe that. Yeah. I'm sure sextons also have other duties, like they might help at the cemetery with things. They might. They might set up flowers. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like the mortuary does all that. Maybe the section has more business stuff to it. But yeah, you're surrounded by spirits at all times. So if you're slightly inclined to believe that spirits talk to you. Or are hoping they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. At this point, they do a very was that shade split screen of Lori as a beauty queen in a pageant waving and looking fabulous and Chad looking like a doughy, middle-aged white man who manages the chilies. Yeah, you bet. Does he have the man baby face that we were talking about recently? Yeah, the Murdoch one? Yeah, describe that for our listeners in case they missed that episode. Yeah, it's a baby that suddenly turned into an adult. Mm. 
Like overnight. So it's you were a baby and then you were an adult, but you still have that kind of face that appears to almost have that baby fat. Yeah. It's a very specific kind of look, but Chad absolutely has it. Everything's a little like how a baby doesn't have defined features, right? (laughs) Not a chiseled jawline on a baby. Everything's a little gummy. And it's not because of size. It's just a very specific baby face implanted on an adult person. Yes. It happens. All right, hold on. Sexton coordinates and oversees the daily operation and maintenance of the city cemetery facilities and designated public landscaped areas. So it's day-to-day administrative work and grounds maintenance. He probably does the business end, but he started as a grave digger. He wears a lot of hats, Sexton. Yeah, he's the manager. He's the cemetery manager. Is And he's not assistant to the regional manager of Sexton work. He is the manager. Of Sexton work. No, and I guess that that word is from the medieval times. Oh, because it's from medieval Latin, meaning custodian of sacred objects, which also, why don't you name your book that? Custodian of sacred objects. That's so much more interesting than one foot in the grave. There you go. Instead of one foot in the grave. Keith uh, calls Lori and Chad nitro and glycerin, which I was overwhelmed by. And then Immediately after Chad's childhood friend calls Lori a 55-gallon drum of high-octane aviation gas into Chad's life. I didn't know we were going to need to remember chemistry class to understand the chemistry between Chad and Lori, but apparently we do. I understood that both were meaning explosive. (laughs) There we go. And that's all we needed to know. Combustible. This episode is confusing enough. I could have just used explosive. There is a lot to follow. Yeah, get your notebooks out, kids. Lori was fascinated by Chad's views, and Chad in turn thought that she was a goddess. And as Keith says, by the end of that Genesis weekend, lust was in full flower. And like some demonic version of creation, a plan had begun to form. That's some poetry. This is their Utah meeting? Yes, this is their meeting at the conference for preparing a people. This plan involved the angel of death, a.k.a. Lori's brother, Alex. Yeah. And we meet his friend, Jill Kimmel, who, by the way, is Jimmy Kimmel's sister. Said who? Said Dateline producer? Said Shane, Dateline producer on Twitter. Also, Jill admitted she always had a crush on Alex. Interesting. I mean, that happens. You go back in time and look at some of my people. He's kind of a bad boy, I guess. People change. <laughs> you never know. So, no, he's always been a bad boy, as we find out new facts about his previous life. So she says that Lori always had a hold over her brother, Alex, which backs up my theory, which rhymes with flowers in the baddock. Yeah. Schmincest. It seems a little unnatural how much he protected Lori, but also we have not still found out anything about Lori and Alex growing up. Like, I think we found out a snippet in one of our episodes about Lori's history. Well, she had a sister that died. Right. Mysteriously. Somebody who's that protective over their sister sometimes can be because of really terrible things that happened before. And so I'm wondering if that unnatural kind of connection was also forged through something 
really bad. Right. And it would also sort of lean towards making sense about why Lori is so sort of able to believe some of this stuff, right? I can't say anything. I just allegedly, but I'm saying his unnatural protection of her seems like that. Yeah. Now, but where does her other brother who we're going to hear about, Adam, fit into that? He's not buying any of this. I would like to know the ages of these people. That's a great, yes. No, it's a great point. Who was in the house at what time? Right. Was Adam five years ahead of everyone? Was Adam seven years ahead of everyone? Or was Adam way younger? Yeah, it's a great point. Joining Lori and Chad and Alex in the charter group of this religious sect that we'll call Chad's religion were Zulema, more on her later, and Lori's niece, Melanie, who my dad apparently thinks is really cute and wants to invite to Thanksgiving, who Joni texted me and said, I could never trust that Melanie. She is not a fan. Good job, Joni. Yeah, right? Good instincts. She smiles too much. She never stops smiling. Also, her eyes are nothing behind them, and she can barely keep them open under the weight of her eyelashes. I don't know what the lighting situation in there is, but her pupils seem to be very large, making her eyes have a very dark appearance. I was staring at them for a minute because I paused on her because I was talking to Oliver because he was watching it with me. It's something about that perma smile that's very inauthentic, number one, of course, but it's also just spooky. Mm-hmm. It's real creepy. Mm-hmm. And she does it in all of her B-roll. We see this really beautifully set up B-roll of her sort of sitting on the bench. We see it 50 times. You know the scene I'm talking about. She's in the navy blue V-neck sweater. Mm -hmm. And she just has this little smile on her face. Well, I don't remember what she's looking at in her lap, but she's just, it's this little... It's the opposite of RBF. Yeah, but it's like on purpose. But on purpose. Yeah, she's like maybe has RBF and she's trying not to. It also makes it seem like there's not a thought in her head. Mm -hmm. I have to say that. Like, or her thoughts are very dark. Very dark. And so she has to keep that little smile to keep the light thoughts in because the others are too dark. That's 100% the vibe that I get. Yes. But going back to her lashes, I guess being part of the 144,000 grants you the gift of gorgeous lashes. I might sign up just for that because mine are puny. Unless you know another way, Katie. I do know another way. What is it? Look, I love makeup. I love lashes. I saw Melanie's lashes right away. My favorite part of makeup is eyelashes. And I'm always surprised by how a great eyelash can completely change your face. I call it an instant pretty. Because on days that I don't feel pretty. Trademark. There you go. If my eyelashes are looking good, I feel like it makes the rest of my face look better. That's just me, but it is something I stand by and believe. And that's what I believe. And that's what I believe. Except I have to do this ad so I can't walk off. I have probably tried 90% of false eyelash brands on the market, but I was really thrilled to be introduced to Glamnetic, which means... I can now leave the worst parts of eyelash extensions and false eyelashes in the past. The worst part I'm talking about is the stupid glue. It can be super messy with Glamnetic. It's ultra easy and it takes a minute. It's fast and it's clean. Glamnetic is the world's first six magnet lash that's made for super easy application and all day hold. Glamnetic has sold over 500,000 pairs of lashes in 2020 alone. So I was really, really excited and willing to start on my new lash journey with Glamnetic. 
With up to 60 uses per lash, they are so much more eco-friendly than other lash brands, and they're wallet-friendly. 60 uses. That's two months. I had no idea. I thought they were disposable. No, it's fan. That's the beauty of the magnet system. And they have over 75 styles for your perfect fit. You can go from completely natural to a full glam look. You can get a different lash for every mood and occasion. Also, they have vegan and cruelty-free options. Yay! And you can sort by all of these different options on the website. You can search by the length. You can search by the lash type. So if you want only vegan, you can search for that. You can search by eye shape. And I love that cat eye effect. So you can achieve that with a bunch of different lashes they have. And with the half lashes, which is my personal favorite, which only goes on the ends and it makes you look Mm. really cute without a lot of work. Like I said, instant pretty. So the actual magnetic system comes with a magnetic lash liner. But the cool thing about the liner is that it's the two in one. The liner is actually magnetized. So you are sticking the eyelashes to your liner. It's a one and done. It's amazing. Take their lash quiz today or use the lash guide to find the style that suits you best. With over 500,000 happy customers, it's hard to go wrong. Also, they have a 100% money back guarantee and expedited shipping with free shipping to the U.S. and Canada on any order over $30. Find out for yourself why Glamnetic lashes are Instagram's favorite beauty hack. Go to glamnetic.com slash date dateline and enter our promo code date dateline for 30% off your order. This code is only available to our listeners. That's glamnetic.com slash date dateline. Enter promo code date dateline at checkout for 30% off. Also, holidays are coming. You might need a little pickup in the face department. Glamnetic, get on it. These lashes literally apply themselves. Give them a try for eyes that magnetize and mesmerize. Try Glamnetic. Glamnetizing and mesmerizing. No, magnetize and mesmerize. Mas- magnetizing and mesmerizing. But I like glamorize, magnetize, and mesmerize with Glamnetics. Love it. GMM. Rule of threes. Go ahead. Yep. <laughs> Thank you, rule of threes. You got it. So Chad told Lori that they had been married in previous lives. And in this life, their job was to fight off evil spirits and gather 144,000 for the end times, which is quite a task for a new couple to undertake. Usually you just have to like merge your finances. So Lori's husband, Charles, was one of these evil spirits. He was standing in the way. Charles was a zombie that we had, we've come to know and love our dear friend, Ned Schneider. No, stop it. His name is Nick Schneider. We know him as Nick Schneider. Keith says Nick Schneider. Immediately, 30 seconds later, you hear someone say Ned. And I said, Oliver, did he say Ned? Yeah. Who's Ned? No, they're bouncing back and forth on the Ned and the Nick. This is like Alec, Alex Murdow. And it is very frustrating. I don't like it. I like him as Nick Schneider. That's what we've been calling him. He's been known to us as Nick Schneider. This is the first time he's known as Ned. So who misheard at which point? He has been called Ned previously. Oh, when? Which episode? He's in the majority of the time he's called Nick. Which episode? Do you know? No, there's been so many. This is the first time I heard Ned. So I am going to have to go back and watch. We're going with Nick. Charles was apparently blocking, or Charles as Nick, was blocking the spiritual gifts that Goddess Lori had been granted, and he needed to be gotten rid of. 
We meet a clinical psychologist and his wife, a journalist, who host a true crime podcast called Hidden True Crime. More podcasters on Dateline that aren't us. Fabulous. Not jealous at all. Mark it off your bingo cards. So happy for them. I have nothing to say. (laughs) I think my silence says it all. (laughs) They tell us that Chad was Googling Ned Schneider. Again, they call him Ned. Six months before Charles' death. I'm not sure why he was Googling a zombie that he made up. Maybe to see if that name was already taken by like a famous basketball player or singer so that he wouldn't use the same name. I'm not sure why he was looking him up. I think that if we were to find out the inner workings of what they're thinking happens with this zombie takeover or this demon possession zombie takeover thing is that it is an actual person who was bad who died. Oh. Do you see what I'm saying? So it is like a zombie. A zombie is a dead person that has come back to life. So he's looking up criminals that passed away whose name was Ned Schneider. Probably. It sounds right. Well, here's the problem that I'm having because now we're going to be seeing some actual text messages and he is not once referred to as Nick. I know. It's very frustrating. I mean, he's Ned. I just sort of am not understanding. Is Ned code? Maybe Ned becomes Nick when the lights go out like gremlins. Is Ned code for Nick Schneider as an entire name? It was just shortened into Ned for some reason. An acronym, Nick Existential Demon. (laughs) Charles says Nick. So did Charles mishear? Charles maybe misheard Lori or Lori misspoke and called him Nick when she's texting people Ned because maybe she misheard what Chad said. Chad could have called him Nev or Nathan and she totally misheard. No, we'll never know. So Charles was scared because Lori is telling him, you're a zombie, you're Nick, which is another reason I want to go with Nick because Charles himself calls him Nick. And if he's the one that is going to be possessed by the person, he should know the person's name. So I think we officially should be Nick. No, I, okay. I'm going to go with what you say, but I do just have to voice that I disagree because I think that we have to go with what he's referred to in the text messages between Lori and Chad because they are the ones that came up with it. Here's What I wish had happened is that they had acknowledged that they used both names and they don't. I wish that they had just inserted one line about this. I wish Keith had just said, we've called him Nick in our previous episodes on this topic because Charles called him Nick. But actually, it was a mishearing and the demon's name is Ned Schneider. Just a one sentence. It's almost like they don't realize that people are obsessively watching these episodes and taking notes and will remember that you called him Nick before. Dateline, you are underestimating your audience. They are very close. They're very close, but just not close enough. So Charles calls him Nick. I'm just going to read whatever they're saying in that particular scene. Although I do kind of feel like Nick is what his close friends and family call him. And- This is our fifth episode with this demon. I feel like we're family. So on Reddit, someone said that Ned Schneider is the first and last names of two guys in high school who bullied Chad. There's a Ned and there's a Schneider, two different guys. He took the first name from one and the last name from the second. That could be. Doesn't explain why he was Googling him. Absolutely not. It actually really does not explain why he was Googling him then. 
maybe he was trying to make sure it wasn't someone else, like that it wasn't actually someone who had sainthood. Like a K-pop star that he hasn't heard of or something. And then they'd be like, why is the demon called this K-pop star? I don't know why there's a K-pop star named Nick Schneider. Anyways, so Lori told Charles that he's a zombie and that an angel is going to dispose of his body. So he is freaked out as you would be. Now, there are very strange texts that are new from Lori to her brother, Alex, saying, apparently it is tied to Ned being gone. Kiss emoji, hopefully today or tomorrow. And Alex writes back, have fun and get rid of Ned already. Who uses a kiss emoji texting their brother? Lori at this point goes online for wedding rings. This is while Charles is still alive. She is still married to Charles. I don't know if we knew that. I think we had thought it was much later, but we've now found out it is much earlier while Charles is still alive. I think we thought it was later. Yeah. And we remember from our previous episodes that the wedding rings were from Amazon for a steal of $35.99. Great price. They go to a temple, Chad and Lori, and self-seal each other. Self-seal one to one another. They perform a self-sealing ceremony. And Our local reporter, Eric, explains this to us. And I was so proud because 99% of the time it is Nate that is talking. So good for him. Yeah. We learned that Lori has another brother, Adam. I don't remember if we knew about him at all. He's new to me. Yeah. So he found her beliefs alarming. So basically her brother, Alex, is totally on board with Chad's beliefs but Adam is not. We are team Adam. Adam and Charles were very concerned about Lori. They discussed having an intervention for her. Then Charles discovers the affair with Chad. He confronts Lori and he tells Chad's wife, Tammy, which I don't know if we knew either. We didn't know any of this. I went back to listen to it again because I was really shocked. This is kind of important information because it definitely, it shows the urgency of the murder that's about to happen. Mm -hmm. And how fast everything was happening. And also we didn't know that Tammy had been told. We were thought that Tammy had no idea. Yeah. Chad's wife. Apparently Charles told her, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall for that conversation. Oh my gosh. It also shows how manipulative Chad is. I mean, we knew he was manipulative, but he like flips. He's basically using Lori's mental illness at this point to warp this in her head. And it's very creepy to me. He convinces Lori that her husband, Charles, and her brother, Adam, are conspiring to kill her for the insurance money. When really they're conspiring for an intervention. And her and Chad are the ones conspiring to kill Charles. But he's like, no, they're trying to kill you. And I think the Charles murder ball really just took, I don't even know if it was a fully formed plan until all of this happened. And now it was like, okay, this needs to happen right now. And Chad is terrified because if they do an intervention that's successful on Lori, she'll leave him. She'll be done. He won't find his goddess again. Right, right. So he has to get rid of Charles first. So Lori texted Alex, I need you to stay close to me. It's all coming to a head this week because she wants to get rid of Charles and get rid of the demon Nick Ned Schneider. But also she thinks that Charles is trying to kill her, which is, again, new information and shocking. So Alex 
goes to her house to protect her. The next day, Charles stops by Lori's house to pick up JJ for school because Charles and Lori are separated at this point. So he goes there and he sees Alex's truck is there. He texts Adam, the good brother that's on his side and says, your brother Alex's truck is here. And Adam says, that's really weird. Be careful. Something is up. And Charles says, absolutely. Unfortunately, when he goes in the house, he is shot by Alex and killed. And this is all really important because this is the first time, first of all, we get that text and we get times. So we get that he showed up at 735, which becomes really important to the whole timeline of the murder, which was a little fuzzy before. We didn't quite understand what happened. Now we get the full picture this time. Also, Charles was 62. He looked amazing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Handsome guy. So Charles is killed by Alex. And Lori, we've seen the videos where she's laughing with the cops about how she's brand new to the neighborhood. Like, hey, neighbor, this is embarrassing. Um, So funny. So she's taken in to the police and she talks to them. We have not seen this before. She says that Charles was acting crazy. He was banging on the door. He was acting like he was plotting something. He was yelling, but she's laughing about all this. Like he was acting wacko. She's very calm and like she's telling in the story of a TV show. Mm -hmm. Her story is that he was acting crazy. Tylee came out with a bat and said, leave my mom alone, which kind of makes me sick to my stomach that Tylee was trying to protect her mom because of what later happens. Tylee is also being interviewed and we've never seen this and we've barely gotten to hear her talk. So this is bizarre seeing this. And she's saying Charles was acting crazy and he tried to grab the bat from her and she fell backwards and he got the bat. However, tech people, when they analyze the bat, can't conclude that Charles ever touched it. So either he didn't leave enough DNA or fingerprints or Lori told Tylee what to say and to lie. What do you think? I kind of think she told her to lie. I kind of think she should be being interviewed with an adult in the room. Yeah, that's a good point. She's only 16. But the only adult would be Lori. And she was also at the, they probably need to interview them separately. They were both at the event. I think it kind of also would have been important to see how Lori acted around her daughter. Yeah. To see if she was leading her Mm -hmm. or anything like that. The casualness of both of them in the interview is a little chilling. I'll say that. They're really calm. Too calm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Alex, also calm especially considering he just killed a man, his brother-in-law, says that Charles hit him in the head with the bat. Now, when you look at the cut on the back of Alex's head, there's no way it's from a bat that a huge over like six feet tall man hit him with. He would be dead. It's a metal bat. No, Oliver immediately is like, no, he would have been knocked out. Yeah. Alex apparently got the gun when all this was happening and Charles came at him and he shot him twice. Lori says, I then went into mommy mode. Like I have to take JJ to school because JJ was at the house and he's like six. So she takes Tylee and JJ to school, but stops for Burger King on the way. So five minutes after the shooting, they are at Burger King because murder makes you want Hash browns. 7.35, he gets to the house. They leave. He's dead by 7.49. 
that's when she leaves to take JJ to work. So this whole knockdown fight, literally 10 minutes, that's how fast all this was? I would have thought even shorter. Maybe so. And then she gets JJ in the car and they go, yeah, it probably is. Because then she it takes a couple of minutes to rustle up the kids, take them to school. The peace of mind to stop at Burger King on the way. Also, did you ever get to do that? I've never got to do that. I think so. Yeah. That sounds so luxurious. It's so bad for you. I would have loved that. It sounds like such a treat as a kid. I love fast food breakfast. It's the only fast food that I'm into when you're up really early in the morning and you get to go for the breakfast run. Yeah. I prefer McDonald's, but Burger King has those French toast sticks. I mean, I just mean anything. I'm talking in a general sense. That's so fun. They're French toast dippers. I'm very jealous. Okay. It's too late now. Can't can't go back. <laughs> you can still go. It's not the same. It's, it wouldn't be the same as like being a kid. That would have been so delightful. Sign up for an adult education class just so that you can go and stop in the morning. Treat yourself for breakfast and then just drop the class because that was the whole point. <laughs> so the detectives feel like they're all acting really calm, which is weird, but all of their stories pretty much corroborate each other. So, OK, I guess it's self-defense. And the detectives even offer Lori assistance for victims, which is rich. However, there are a lot of things that the detectives maybe are overlooking or maybe don't realize until later. Alex said he shot Charles while he was standing, but the second bullet shows that he was already down on the ground when he was shot for the second time. Alex had told the police there was no special reason why he was there that day. Lori wasn't scared of Charles, nothing like that. Lori tells the detectives the exact opposite, that she had him come over because she was scared of Charles. And the biggest one, Phone records show that Alex didn't call 911 until 45 minutes after the shooting. 8.46. They left the house at 7.49. Almost an hour. That's crazy. He tells them on 911, he's like, yeah, it just happened a couple minutes ago. And before he called 911, he called Lori while she's driving the kids because they need to cooperate some more things. So what happened here? Yeah. There's lots of things that should have given the detectives, I think, more pause. So Oliver was convinced. He was like, oh, OK. So the original story was supposed to be that all of this happened with Tylee and Lori and JJ on their way to school. That was supposed to be the original story. And then somehow that got flipped. For some reason, they decided to change it. That might be also why they did the Burger King run to provide a, a time an alibi time, so that Lori was apparently not in the house, so that the story would have been only that Alex and Charles were in the house and Charles came in mad and et cetera, et cetera. Because why else would you wait that long? He was obviously trying to protect Lori even more by saying she was never there at all. But I don't know why that got changed. I don't know why they decided to go with the story that they had all been in the house. I think that he thought that he needed more backup to prove that it was self-defense. And now he would have two other people saying that it was self-defense. Maybe, but it doesn't seem like Lori really cares about Alex all that much getting in trouble. No, but she needs him for future things, future murders. And you think she already knows about these future murders. So she's okay. All right. No, that's a good point. That's a very good point. So... We also learned, which I feel like they told us once before, but I kind of blocked it out like a traumatic memory. We learned that Alex was a part-time stand-up comic. Oh, I did not remember that at all. 
Maybe I blocked out blocking it out or maybe I it, I'm just have a false memory and now implanted in me. It's a negative memory. I don't want it there. He doesn't appear to be funny. But anyways, the police are taking photos of his arms and stuff. And he says, it's sad when you don't have a good side and you're having your picture taken. And especially if you're sleeping in a room that's painted like a Sephora. Sorry, did you see the room that he was sleeping in? <laughs> it's literally like you walked into a Sephora bag. It's red and black and white stripes. It reminded me that the Sephora sale is on. That's how striking it was. I more thought that those b- thick black and white stripes are like prison stripes or like a prison jumpsuit and that it's super fitting for all of them. Oh, okay. That was what my thought process was. I don't totally want to judge Alex for this, though, because we have seen people make inappropriate jokes on Dateline before. I feel like it's something my dad would do, but usually they're the killer. So poor Tylee is in her interrogation room, not an interrogation room, like an interview room. And she's humming a song to Moana while she's alone in there. And the podcast lady is reading us the lyrics. She seems to think that there is a lot of deeper meaning behind the song lyrics as to what Tylee was feeling. I think there probably is. I think it's a subconscious thing. I don't think she was doing it on purpose as a signal to the police, but I think that that kid's got a rough time. Oh, I think so for sure. It's just, I would rather think that she's singing it because it was a really popular song and it was everywhere that year. And not that she's singing about not being a perfect daughter because that kind of breaks my heart. The thing is she's singing it because that song strikes her, right? She knows it by heart probably. Because that's how you do with songs that speak to you. Yeah, but I th- I know that song by heart and I never even saw the movie. I think stuff is rough for Tylee. I feel really bad for her. Oh, for sure. I'm in no way okay. not saying it's not. It has to be insane being Lori's daughter. I can't imagine. And if she is lying about all of this, how good of a liar she is is very scary. It means she's had to do it a lot. Yeah, yeah. That's a bummer. So... The detective says that the ride home with Lori was the weirdest ride ever, that she was smiling and happy-go-lucky. I mean, I guess they have to take their time to piece together to determine if it was self-defense, but they kind of seem like they've said it was self-defense right at that night, even though there's all these red flags. Yeah. If they had somehow done something faster or sooner, JJ and Tylee could maybe still be alive. If they had arrested Alex, yeah. Yeah. But I'm not in their position, so I don't know what. Yeah, I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to tell. Yeah. Keith kind of says that it's a shame that they couldn't have done something, you know, because of what happens next. Also, what was surprising, and even Oliver said it, he was like, that's pretty impressive that she flipped that entire interview to be about her being a victim. That's hard to do. Yeah, no, she's good at it. And remember, she had gotten out of the psych evaluation as well. Mm-hmm. We don't talk about this this episode, but we had before where Charles was like insisting and saying she about all this stuff and she walked out of it laughing. Mm-hmm. She's frightening. Mm-hmm. When Charles's brothers hear about the murder, because it was a murder, they know it was in self-defense. They think it was an ambush and they are concerned and they start looking more into Chad and Lori and what was going on there. We learn, this is brand new information, that Chad called a funeral home in Arizona hours after Charles' death. Literally hours after 
He calls, pretends to be a family member, and says, we don't want anything but a cremation. No autopsy. We don't want any of that. What's the ballpark price? He's not involved. He is not a family member. He's pretending. And then he says, the funeral home worker says, I'm so sorry for your loss. And Chad says, thank you. He's the worst. And then Keith says, Chad wouldn't have made a good secret agent because he gives his own name on the call. He says, Chad Daybell. But then later in the call, she says, how do you spell that? And he gives them a different spelling. (laughs) And he's like, Daybell, D-A-B-A-L. I actually thought that was kind of fast thinking. And then he says, how are you related to the deceased? I'm his nephew. I live in Idaho. Yeah. Wow. I kind of feel like Chad is way too involved in Lori's murders. Lori does not get involved in his murders. He needs a life or a hobby or something. Maybe Best Fiends. There you go. Unsure. You know, I love playing Best Fiends all year round, but I love it especially now because it's holiday stress time. And holiday stress time plus Kimberly equals no bueno. We are having some family over for Thanksgiving. And when my dad and aunt start to argue about politics, that'll be my cue to gather up the dogs, go up to my room and play Best Fiends until the lamb stops screaming downstairs. Best Fiends is the best because it has adorable fiends that are bugs and they're very cute and they're helping me to conquer my fear of bugs. And fun puzzles that you can play for hours, which I do, or just minutes when you're in line at the grocery store. And you don't even need Wi-Fi to play. You have an offline mode that you can use. So if my family drives me extra crazy, I will drive to Rexburg, Idaho and sit in my car and play Best Fiends until the rapture. I've been on a roll lately. I'm on level 2,229. Wow. But they're always adding more. I am never going to run out. I'm going to keep playing until I get to level 144,000. That's my new goal. Start playing Best Fiends. Send me your player codes. I've been getting a lot of new player Best Fiends. Best friend Best Fiends, basically. People keep sending me them on Twitter and I want them so we can have all be friends and have a big Best Fiends party. Download Best Fiends free today on the App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. It's fiendishly fun. Hey, thank you, Best Fiends. Thank you, Best Fiends. You're my best fiend that I ever had. Katie, what's new in your closet besides your portal to other dimensions? Well, I can tell you what's new in my sock drawer. Bombas winter socks are here. Mm. The holiday styles are in. They're really cool this year. I can't wait. My sock drawer is already full, but my cart is now full (laughs) at Bombas.com. Bombas's mission is simple. Make the most comfortable clothes ever and match every item sold with an equal item donated. So this holiday, when you gift Bombas to someone, hint, hint, to someone (laughs) on your list, you're also giving them to someone in need. It's a give-give situation. I love it. It's also a win-win. Yes. Bombas designed their socks, shirts, and underwear to be the clothes you can't wait to put on every day. I love Bombas socks. I really do pick them out every day. Everything they make is soft, seamless, tagless, and has a luxuriously cozy feel. They're made from super soft materials like merino wool, pima cotton, and even cashmere. There's a pair of Bombas socks for everything you do as well. They come in performance styles for every sport. My favorite, hint, hint, hint. Yeah, I I see you. I see you there. And holiday styles for when you're feeling festive and 
lots more. Every height as well. Let me be clear. Bombas comes knee high all the way down to no show. And I have, I think, one of each style. And I wear them all for different things. I, I love them. They fit like a dream. Bombas t-shirts are made with thoughtful design features like invisible seams, soft fabric, and the perfect weight so they hang just right on the body, which I love. I'm always looking for the perfect t-shirt. And Bombas underwear has a barely there feel with a second skin support that might make you forget they're even there in a good way, not a weird way. Not in like a, I'm having a nightmare that I forgot all my clothes at school. Like I went to school with no clothes on. In a way that it's bugging you all day. Bombas isn't going to do that. It's going to be that thing that you put on and forget it, which is great. Bombas are the coziest gifts for everyone on your list. And thanks to their festive gift boxes, you don't even need to wrap them. All you have to do is the giving part. Socks, underwear, and t-shirts are the three most requested clothing items at homeless shelters in that order. And that's why Bombas donates one for every item you buy. Bombas are seriously made to be the perfect gift and made to give back to those who need it. So happy giving, everybody. Go to bombas.com slash date dateline and get 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash date dateline for 20% off. Bombas.com slash date dateline. Bombas, 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 bombas. Ho, 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 ho. Give some bombas away. <laughs> You're the bombas.com. Absolutely. Thank you, Bombas. So Lori next is on the phone. Lori is now calling the insurance company for the money. We are hearing all of these calls, by the way, for the first time. And she says it was an accidental shooting. I am the beneficiary. Give me my money. None of that is true. Neither of the above is true. Yeah, none of it. All false. False. I feel like Dwight Schrute. Yeah, false. She learns that she's not the beneficiary. She texts Chad. She says... He changed it in March. So it was probably Ned before we got rid of him. It's a spear through my heart. Okay, a few things. A, I already thought we were calling him Nick, not Ned, but okay, whatever. B, you just admitted that you got rid of him in text. Sure did. C, losing the money is what's a spear through your heart. Not losing your husband. You got it. And D, This is why I always tell people, inform your loved ones if you've taken them off of your insurance policy so they will know that they have no reason to kill you. Do you think he was killed only for the insurance money? I think he may have been killed anyways, I have to say. No, he probably would have been killed anyways. Yeah. Niece Melanie, eyelash gal, she tells Lori, you should get a life insurance policy on JJ entirely. Because we've seen anything can happen if it's the Lord's will. I'm not a fan of her. Not a fan. I think that might have been when Joni texted me. I've never trusted that Melanie. (laughs) Chad wooed the newly minted widow, Lori, and became a great lover. Texting her like a teenager with FOMO. (laughs) And Keith explains to us what FOMO is. I appreciate that. I'm sure it was helpful for a lot of our listeners, especially to Joni and Bob. A lot of older people, for sure. My mom would not know what FOMO is. Absolutely. Chad texts Lori, I'm heading to bed so that I can come snuggle tightly against you. I adore you. You are my best friend in earth and throughout eternity. But this is 
fantasy snuggling. He is still with Tammy in a different state from Lori, snuggling up against Tammy, wishing it was Lori. He would go into his closet at night and go into a portal to visit Lori. Imagine if he teleported into your closet by mistake. You hear something in the middle of the night, you go to your closet and you're like, oh, Chad, again? And I found a middle-aged white man. Yeah, I'd be upset. Chad, Lori is one portal over. We've been through this. Get out of my sock drawer. It's where we keep our bombas. So thanks. Seriously. I feel like Chad is like those people who apparate in Harry Potter and they do it wrong. And one of their limbs comes off by accident. They leave it behind. It's just like disastrous teleportation. The sad thing is, I think it's so much sadder than that. I think it's much more like he has fashioned a colander from his kitchen with things attached to it. So he, his wife keeps finding him in the closet with this weird thing on his head. And oh he won't explain to her what it is. I think it's much worse than that. That makes me very sad that there's a costume. I feel like there might be a robe as well. But. Yeah. Chad also writes Lori a love story. In texts and emails, two chapters, 12 pages. At this point, I started mumbling to myself, oh no, oh no, oh no. Is Keith going to read this love story to us? Yes. Yes, he is. A little bit. So it's about them, but with different names. And it sounds like Twilight fan fiction. Sure does. James and Elena met at a conference. They felt like they had known each other for oh so long. They lived when Jesus walked the earth and now they're reunited. James was obsessed with Elena's exalted goddess physical beauty and he was sure that she was way out of his league. Yes, true. I am glad you recognize that chat or James. Keith says the book could make any Harlequin editor blush. Gross. Gross. I don't want to know that. Also, I'm not sure which part, because the next thing he reads is their spirits could not be restrained any longer. And a long awaited makeout session took place in that lobby. Was that the part that would make a Harlequin editor blush? A makeout session? Was the makeout session part of the book or did they replace that? Makeout session are the words he used? Yes. Does Keith know what a Harlequin romance novel consists of? Because it's a lot more than a makeout session. But I do think there are steamier parts. I think they're reading us the parts they can read. That's what I'm thinking. I hope so. Well, no, I don't hope so. I just feel like we've seen worse on Dateline and they've just chosen to blur out certain words when it was a lot racier. No, I'm so sorry. This is a was that shade. Was that shade. They're shaming him because that reads so badly. (laughs) There we go. He's shading Chad's PG language. His ridiculous verbiage. Okay. Instead of saying they kissed passionately in the lobby, they had a long-awaited makeout sesh in the lo- What's wrong with you, man? He is writing Twilight fan fiction. That is what is wrong with him. This is not what a grown man would write. Poor Tammy. Yeah, for real, poor Tammy. Yeah. Okay. This sentence makes a lot of sense. This was manifest in the mortal world to James and Elena through the scientific phenomenon known as loin fire. (laughs) (laughs) 
That does sound like a Harlequin novel, actually. The podcaster guy says to Keith, not sure which um, science he's talking about when he says scientific phenomenon. And Keith says, I think it's fairly basic science. And they're all laughing. Let's discuss Loin Fire. No, I can't discuss Loin Fire. I have some thoughts. Except that it's the name of my first book. Except it's Pork Loin Fire. It's about, it's a cookbook about different ways to cook pork. Okay, I thought 80s hairband or some sort of STD like gonorrhea. Okay, sure. For moderate to severe case of loin fire, also known as LF, ask your doctor about Valtrex. There you go. Yeah, it's perfect. Perfect. Keith says, we'll spare you most of this love story. And then he continues to read from it. Thank God. Keith, what what are you doing? Because it's like, it's too, you have to see. It's the thing that you have to, it's the car crash you have to watch. I get it. Yeah, that's totally it. You're like peering behind your hands, but just prying them open a little bit. You can't stop yourself. Exactly. As James placed his hands on her head, he connected with Elena's true eternal self. (laughs) He knew he was in the presence of an exalted goddess who had returned to earth to perform a special mission. And then she gave him a tremendous blessing that showed him how much she loved him. Was it a BJ? Yeah, no, of course it was. It was some stupid. It was like her flower or- Was it LF? Did she give him a huge case of LF? Katie's- so uncomfortable. I really don't like to think about these two people doing this. It's not pleasant. Yeah, it's horrible. (sighs) But Lori is still impatient, even though he's writing her these just beautiful prose, most beautiful prose I've ever seen. She's impatient because Tammy is still alive. It's like she did her job and got rid of Charles, but he's still married to Tammy. So she texted him, go have fun with your family. If things change, then we can talk. But we have nothing until things change. For real, girl? Man. She's fully playing hard to get. I withhold my loin fire until Tammy is gone. The loin fire is staying in the cookie jar until Tammy's gone. Yeah. Two days later, however, it worked. She texts a friend. I got word from father. Things are moving. (gasps) I need to get to Idaho by the end of the month. Now, at first I thought father was, she was referring to Chad and I was so grossed out. But upon rewatch, she was speaking to God. And- Oh, okay. God is father, which is much more acceptable. Sorry, I thought Chad was father. I thought it was mother God and father God. I thought we were right back in it. Also, a lot of this parallels, gotta say. Yeah, uh, no, thank God. She was referring to God. So she moves to Idaho and so does Alex. And at this point, we learn something very shocking. Chad has been telling Lori that Tylee was dark since two days after they met. Usually you save your teenage daughter is a zombie talk for the third date. But Chad moves very fast. That's very strange, right? I was. He told her that right away and she was still like, yeah, I'm in love with you. Yeah. It's almost like she wanted to hear something like that. It is. That's exactly what I was thinking. Now, when Tylee was young, Lori had fought for her, like fought very hard for her and had her brother Alex 
physically fight for her. He had gone to prison for attacking Lori's third husband, Joe, saying that he wanted to kill him and he wanted to make sure that Tylee stayed with Lori. Now, this makes you once again go back to the police the night Charles was killed. Wouldn't they have looked him up? They didn't know that. And it would be in the system that he had gone to prison for attacking her third ex-husband. And now he has murdered the fourth ex-husband. In Arizona? Well, they can look up those records are nationwide. Right. What, how long ago was that? And what was that charged as? Because some things don't show up forever. I don't know, but he was in prison for it. That's kind of what we need to know. Well, Charles and her had been married for like 16 years or something. So that can't be right because Tylee was only 16. But it does seem like they didn't look him up at all. That is correct. It does seem like they didn't look him up at all. It does. It definitely seems like that. Because this is now a pattern. I have questions. Pattern of disrespect to me. I feel like my ears have been disrespected after having to listen to that (laughs) garbage. To loin fire. I need an apology. (laughs) I need a personal apology. I am offended personally offended. I just came here to have a good time and I am feeling so attacked right now. So the podcasters tell us that they think there was a religious element to this. So much like God tested Abraham, are you willing to sacrifice your child? Chad was almost testing Lori. Are you willing to sacrifice your child? And she was more than willing to sacrifice her child. Meanwhile, he still has not sacrificed his wife like to point that out. Seems like she's doing all the heavy lifting in this relationship, guys. A few days after they moved to Idaho, Alex goes to Lori's house at 2 a.m., which was strange and not normal, but he went there at 2 a.m. and he spent about two hours there. And after that, Tylee was never seen alive again. When was that? How many days after they'd moved? Only a few days after they moved to Idaho. So they moved to Idaho, went to Yellowstone. That was that fast? Mm-hmm. I did not realize that. Okay. And also, Alex lived in the same apartment unit. I think he actually lived next door, even though they don't tell us that. But we do see footage of them searching. Melanie lived next door. Alex did live nearby. Yeah. Oh, Melanie lived next door. That's why the, the, the searches were happening, because you see the footage and the searches are happening with two doors open, but the apartments are connected. So, okay, there we go. There we go. So it happened right away. Yeah, I didn't realize that either. That was new to me, um, that it all happened so fast. It almost makes you wonder why did they even move with the children if they were planning this? My guess would be that more people would notice that the kids were missing in Arizona where they lived. And if they moved to a brand new location where no one knew them, less people would notice that the children were missing. Exactly. That's exactly why. So a week after... Tylee goes missing. Lori says that JJ had become a zombie. And a last photo of him is seen in his pajamas. Lori texted Alex that day, do you have eggs? And Alex said, do you want me to get eggs? And the podcasters tell us that eggs is street name for Valium or Xanax which I did not know. Me neither. That was useful. And I like these podcasters, by the way. That was very useful information. They've done their homework. I like this couple. I think they have a lot of fun. I think they're a couple you like because I think they do the red string. Oh, yeah. I bet they have a red string wall for sure. 
So they think this was code and they were going to use it to subdue or maybe overdose JJ. And then a friend backs this up. He was actually at the house and JJ was having a fit. He was acting up. Alex, Uncle Alex takes JJ outside. And a couple hours later, Alex comes back in and he's carrying JJ and JJ's sleeping. And he was never seen again after this. So that's brutal. And I, again, did not know that this all happened within like a couple weeks of them being in Idaho. I don't know why this was the plan. I'm sorry. I just have to say this seems like such a weird plan to just think that no one would notice if these children went missing instead of trying to make this look like an accident, like with Charles. Why was this the plan? Right. Did they honestly think that Jesus was coming in a week? I think so. They only had to buy enough time until the end because they thought it was July 16th or whatever that date was. Remember the date was in July. I think they only had to buy enough time to deal with that. If there was an accident, there's a chance they could be charged with something and then they'd be in jail and then they wouldn't get to finish their plan. But there were other people in their lives. This is just such a weird plan. There were so many people who would have taken those kids. Yeah, absolutely. Many other people who would have taken those kids if there was a problem. Keith asks, what's that saying? Life comes at you fast sometimes. I was like, oh, that's from the famous philosopher Nationwide Insurance. Thank you. Is it? Yes. Oh, there you go. Life comes at you fast. (laughs) And then they show the tree falling on your house. They're like nationwide. We're on your side. Keith is a purveyor of all different sorts of knowledge. He doesn't discriminate. No, you're so right. He's not like, that's not from a novel. I won't use it. No, it's like a commercial, a pop song, anything. He's not snotty. Nope. Yeah. I love that about him. So Lori is seen at the storage unit, which we have seen footage of. There's security footage from the storage unit. She's with Chad. Mm -hmm. They move in a tire a huge tire and a folding back seat of a car. And as they're leaving, Chad, ever the romantic Casanova, pats her on the butt. Sure. Super awesome. I just don't want to see it. No, it's just like all these murders make them super horny. Gross. Yeah. Meanwhile, back in Arizona, a man calls 911 claiming someone just shot at his car window. And it's Brandon Boudreaux. Who is that, you're asking? That is a man who is going through a custody battle with Lori's niece, Melanie. Uh Uh-huh. Melanie, who is fully indoctrinated into Chad's group. The one who Joni doesn't trust. So take that with a grain of salt. Or anyone, though. I mean, Melanie's a hard, Melanie's difficult. No one trusts her. Except for Bob, because Bob wants to invite her to Thanksgiving, apparently. Someone in a Jeep shot at Brandon with a silencer. Turns out that Jeep was the Jeep that Charles bought for Tylee. Again, heartbreaking that Charles was such a good stepdad to Tylee that he bought her a car and that this car was used in an attempted murder shortly after she was murdered. They used her car to do it. It's so wrong. It's, It's all kinds of wrong. And it's a kind of Jeep that has a removable backseat. So it appears that Alex drives the Jeep to Arizona. And in Idaho, Chad and Lori take the seat and the tire to the storage unit. Why? 
unsure. He needed more room. Is there seriously so little room? Those townhouses look fairly decent size. There's no room for those things. You have to take them to the storage unit. Was it in case he got caught? I think they were also putting JJ and Tylee's things in the storage unit. So they maybe thought we were going there already. If I'm not mistaken, that's in previous episodes. They were taking some things of JJ and Tylee's to that storage unit as well. Because it's confusing. Now, Chad wanted to get rid of Brandon because Brandon was a Gadianton. Gadianton. Which is something in Mormonism that they borrowed from Mormonism. And it is a criminal organization in ancient America. Eric, our local reporter, says it's basically the ancient mafia of the United States. Book of Mormon, ancient mafia. Yeah, exactly. Book of Mormon, ancient mafia. I'm not making fun because Judaism has some weird stuff in it too. So. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I just feel like it's a very weird term to throw out. I always feel kind of funny. I hear people be like, they're a Pharisee. And I'm sort of like, all right. Nobody talks about the Pharisees. That's something in the New Testament. Oh, okay. Thank you. It's kind of like just taking this word that would impress Lori. I feel like all of this is just to be like, look how smart and well-versed I am in the Book of Mormon and the Bible using this very obscure term. Well, remember, even though Charles converted to Mormonism for Lori, he wasn't like super involved in the church. And she wanted someone who was like a powerful, charismatic, important guy in the church. And no one thinks they're more important than Chad Daybell. It is the nitro in the glycerin. It is the perfect storm. It's terrible. And Chad has always wanted the pretty girl. Really, at the baseline of all of this, that's where we are. Mm -hmm. He didn't get the cheerleader in high school and he wanted to be a big shot. He was writing these books that like five people were reading. But then he met her and he's like, she's my goddess. Right. And this beautiful woman loves me, even though his wife is beautiful and seems very sweet. And gave him five children and was moved across the country to be with him because he said the end times were going to be there. It's very frustrating. It's like your wife puts you through medical school and scrimps and saves. And then as soon as you become a doctor, you leave her for somebody younger. Mm -hmm. Piss me off. Yeah. So they called Brandon dark, which is like one step before zombie, basically. Like you're first you're dark, then you're a zombie. Now, the day after the shooting, Alex was at the storage unit up in Idaho where he returned the backseat and the tire to the Jeep. Why? Yeah, again, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But he did it in a day. They talk about it. They say he drove 922 miles. Yeah, I did give it a bing before Eric started giving us the times. I did give it a bing because I was like, wow, how far is that drive? It's very far. But that's partially why I think he needed more room in the backseat because I think he was going to take naps in the backseat. So I think he needed to spread out. Lori then helps Melanie move into the same complex in Idaho because Melanie is separated from Brandon or their exes and Brandon is being shot at, et cetera. So Melanie is recorded by her friend secretly because her friend does not trust Melanie like Joni and the rest of us. And her friend records her and Melanie's saying, I don't think Brandon's car was really shot at or maybe he did it himself. I think he shot out his own window, you know, and he went into hiding with the kids. He's saying he's being hunted 
which is true. He totally is being hunted by Alex. And I think he made all of that up. Melanie's like, this whole thing is just unreal. And the friend says, this is like a crime novel. And Melanie says, I know someone's recording this. Yep. Yep. I can't describe Melanie's affect, the way she speaks, her accent. I don't know how to describe it, but it's very strange. It's like she's pretending to be a different person. It doesn't seem like it's her real voice or words. Doesn't feel like it matches her body. It's like a gruff kind of voice. Mm -hmm. But if I was kind of like met her, I would be like, wow, she's kind of interesting. Something is definitely up with that lady. I don't know. No, I don't think so. That voice, that smile, those eyes. What's happening? I think you're a better judge of character. I think you'd back away. No, I think I'd want to hang out with her just in public a couple times just to find out more what was going on. And then she'd say Church of the Firstborn and you'd be like, bye. Bye. (laughs) Or I'd be like, I am a firstborn. That's perfect. You can't join, Katie. Sorry. You're the youngest. No. I'm a firstborn. I was bequeathed the firstborn position many years ago. Oh, really? Is that how that works? Yes. In my family, that's how that works. Okay. So Melanie's being recorded by her friend. Then we meet Julia Rowe. Julie Rowe. Apologies, Julie. And she speaks and writes books about the end games. End times, not end games, but. End end times. That's a Marvel movie. But yes. Yeah. It is Marvel. Mm -hmm. I was trying to understand something about Marvel the other day, and I think I read something about Endgames. I watched them all. I can tell you about it. I've never seen any of them. I was trying to understand something. Oh, I got on a kick. Oh, because I found out Tatiana Maslany is going to be She-Hulk, which I didn't even know existed. I didn't either. That's news to me as well. And people were like in the comments, oh, look at his hand. That must be before Endgames, but after... The Hulk Takes Manhattan. I don't know the names of the movies. The Hulk Takes Manhattan is definitely it. It's a different language to me. So Julie writes and speaks about the end times. She is published by self-publishing king Chad Daybell. How does that work? Mary, he has his own self-publishing press. I don't know. Oh, you know what? I take it back. In a previous episode, we learned that Tammy was helping him publish all those books. That's right. I forgot about that, too. You're right. That's how dedicated she was to him. Oh, man. Tammy. Boo. Yeah. Justice for Tammy. Like, hashtag, don't forget Tammy. So he had been telling Julie, I'm having visions of Tammy dying. He didn't seem very upset about these visions. And she sort of believed in this kind of the same things he did, but she was getting kind of weirded out by some of the things he's saying, like, I can't move forward with my plan until Tammy's gone. Almost like he wants her to be gone so that his plan can move forward. And so even Julie, who's like totally on board with the end times and everything, is like, ick. She got an ick feeling. And this is too far even for me, guys. You've taken a turn and I don't want to be part of it. So there's a text message. Chad is texting Lori. Hello, sweet angel. Big news. Tammy has become a demonic entity named Viola. Not Davis. She is in limbo and a level three demonic entity is in her body. 
Not sure of the timing for removal, but I don't want to wait. So I have some questions about this. So here's the exact text. The short version is that she has been switched. Tammy is in limbo and a level three demonic entity named Viola is in her body. It happened at about 10 p.m. and was done by Tammy's sister, Sam, who I always knew was 3D, but turns out she is a multiple creation. Wow. What is 3D? 3D is a pop band. No, is Mother Earth. Mother Earth, the third dimension. Yeah, that was our plane. That was this plane in that you wanted to be in like a higher fifth dimension. Also, who is this sister and what does he mean she did it? Oh, wait, there's more. Viola, the demon, has been attached for about a year to my niece, Blacked Out, who is Sam's 12-year-old daughter. I have connected with Tammy in limbo, and she is very frustrated and upset. She wants Viola removed as soon as possible. Viola seems to be similar to blacked out. The personality differences from Tammy should be evident quickly. Please seek a confirmation on this, but I have now checked three times since I got home and get more affirmative answers every time. So there's a way to test demonic possession. I would like to know what they are, and I would like to pursue those with my friends and family. Actually, I can read you a tweet. Are you going to let me perform a test on you if I think that you've been possessed by a demon? I've been practicing and rehearsing my answers. I will answer appropriately to prove I'm not a pod person. From Shane Bishop, Dateline producer, Lori told Adam that Charles had been taken over by Ned, who was an inch shorter than Charles. That's how Lori said she knew it wasn't really Charles any longer. I don't have things to throw around me. When people get in it that deep, it's like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, he's an inch shorter. That's how I know it's Ned and not Charles. Because Charles is 6'2 and Ned is only 6'1. That's what's happening. Because when you're infected with a demon, it makes you shrink. Is this what we sound like with the owl theory? (laughs) <laughs> when it's like, it has to be this because this and this and this happened. Is this what we sound like? Maybe, but I'm okay with that. Is this a moment of self-realization? No, I really believe in the owl theory. There were feathers in her hair. These people really believe that there is a thing and someone is a multiple creation. But again, all religions believe some funny things, but I don't know religions that believe that you're, a person can change height from that quickly besides if they have rheumatoid arthritis or not osteoporosis I meant also it did seem like Charles by the way we see video of Charles that he had lost a significant amount of weight so I feel bad for him because I think he was very very stressed Mm -hmm. but this text that I read you makes me feel like Tammy was having conversations with Chad about having a demon attached to her or he's just making this up that she wanted Viola removed as soon as possible. You watched the 48 Hours with Chad's kids. I watched it too. They seem to not know anything about this belief or zombies or anything. So either he's making this up, which is totally plausible, and Tammy didn't know anything about this side of his beliefs, or they just kept it from the kids. And Tammy also believed in this sort of thing. I think it's also possible that Tammy believed in her husband. Mm -hmm. And so when he's telling her he's seeing these things or whatever, because she was not well, as the kids 
also state that her health had been failing for a while. She might have been easily more convinced that this was something to do with demonic possession instead of her health failing. But I also think it would mean that she would be more apt to take something that her husband gave her that would lead eventually to her death. Yeah, absolutely. And he had started talking about being able to cross through the veil and stuff like that in his books, which she published, helped publish. So she did know about his powers and she probably thought, well, he's, he can see this stuff that I can't. So if he's seeing demons on me, attached to me or whatever, I trust him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And she might've even been convinced enough to, if he convinced her, it would be best for you to pass over now to get rid of the demons that are attached to you. And so that the plan can go forward. I think it's more like he said, we need to make this concoction, but the concoction included nail polish remover. Do you know what I'm saying? Something that would kill her. That's more what I'm concerned about. I have some questions about the level three demonic entity. What level is Nick Schneider? Does Nick know Viola? No, Ned's gone now. Ned could maybe be attached to someone else now. You don't know the rules. I think that that's why they're killing him is so that Ned dies. Do you only get to pick a host when you're at level three? I also think this 3D refers to, I knew she was 3D, but it turns out she's multiple creation. I do think 3D is level three demonic entity. Oh, okay. So I think you get, I don't, I just don't know how many levels there are. I I have a lot of, I would like to see the curriculum. Give, show me the papers. God, I gotta admit it sounds a lot like Scientology, doesn't it? With the Phaetons? Phaetons? Sounds like a few things. Sounds like Mother God to me, the one we just did. Yeah. A few days after he sent this text saying Tammy has become a level three, she has a level three demon, Viola, inside of her. She was shot at with what she thought was a paintball gun. She thought it was a prank. Surprise, it was not a prank. It was Alex. And he just kind of is not very good at shooting people sometimes. Earlier that day, Alex had texted Lori from a burner phone that he was near Chad and Tammy's house. So obviously it was him that shot at Brandon and Tammy and he misfired or didn't shoot properly something. He didn't succeed at shooting either one of them. 10 days later, Tammy dies in her sleep. Conveniently, Alex was parked near Chad and Tammy's that night. They've been able to do all this GPS searching now, which is all new information. And they can literally just track his movements. And he is everywhere near where someone almost dies or dies. It's crazy. Really fascinating. Yeah. Tammy was buried without an autopsy. Apparently, Chad didn't want one. Two weeks later, Chad and Lori get married in Hawaii on the beach. And in one of the photos, she's pointing a finger gun at Chad, which I kind of find gross, given at how many people have been shot or shot at. I know I commented on this before about their wedding pictures, which are like significantly well done. I am going to need the name and email address of the photographer because I have questions, like a thousand questions. Yeah, absolutely. So that'd be great. If they would come forward, that would make my life a lot, lot better. They look just beaming. They're just in ecstasy. They're so happy as you would want someone to be on their wedding day, but not when you just murdered your wife two weeks before that and that you had been searching for rings on Amazon while you were planning the murder of her husband. It's really gross. It's really bad. Folks, we're ending here for this part and we're going to pick up 
part two of this incredible episode because there's just too much new information to cover in our double date episode on Friday. Woohoo! So you only have to wait a couple of days, but we're going to do a little bit of B-roll, right? Yeah. A little bit of B-roll from this first half of the episode. The most important would be the bear on a chair. Yeah, that bear has seen some things. There's a bear in the police interview room. Also, it's not like an interrogation room. There's like a huge comfy love seat. Is that their interrogation room? It's like a way nice police room for people who are not suspects. Guests. Yeah. Guests of the police station. Yeah. So there's like a leather chair that Lori keeps pulling her feet up in. She sits like I do, which is not the greatest place to sit like in public unless someone says you can put your feet up. But both her and Tylee do it. Tylee's a teenager. It's different. It's fine. I do the same thing. But are they in the same room? Different room, I think. It looks like either we're seeing like one side of the room and then we're seeing another side of the room or there's two rooms that are decorated very similarly, but mirror flipped to each other. Two bears? I don't know. Brothers? Teddy and Betty? I understand the bear being in there for Tylee, but what I don't understand is if it's the same room or a different part of the room, it means that Lori and Tylee were interviewed at different times which means that Lori should be in there with Tylee is what I'm trying to say. Unless they were being interviewed simultaneously, there's no reason for them for her mom not to be in there with her. Right. Am I crazy? I don't know how they do things in Arizona. But am I right? Kind of a little bit. Yeah, for sure. Okay. The only thing I can think of is if you were both witnesses, you would have to be interviewed completely separately. But she is a child, so that rule shouldn't apply. They should have interviewed the mom first to hear what she had to say and then interviewed Tylee and kept them separated so you couldn't discuss anything, even though it's been, they had 45 minutes after the murder. Wait, they had an hour at least before they had to talk to the police. So they had plenty of time to talk on the ride to Burger King. They had no furniture. They had, from what I can see, it's an empty home. Where's the couch? Why isn't there any furniture in the living room when you walk in? I don't actually know if that's the house that she and Charles lived in together because they were separated at that time. So she had moved out? It's possible. That's a very nice house. But I think that that was the house because I remember them talking about the room that she had just for dancing and he had let her have that room where she could twirl every day at like four o'clock. She'd like to dance for like an hour by herself. I'll never forget it. It's really not fun. I don't like that he just in that room with the Sephora and the um, slash prison stripes walls that he was sleeping on this mattress there. Alex, the brother, he had a bag on the floor where he kept the gun. And again, Tylee and JJ were in the house and he kept a gun in a bag on the floor. The gun was worrisome because the gun's also just sitting next to the bag. And Oliver was like, why is the gun there? I was very confused about that. Unless there were two guns, why wouldn't it be by Charles's body? Unless he ran in after he shot him, he ran back to the bedroom and left the gun, dropped the gun there. Well, it had been a time. So I think he went and set it down and said the gun's in the bedroom. But also I would leave it in the living room if the children weren't there and say the gun is right here, like gesture to the gun. You're like, uh, by the way, I killed this person and then I totally altered the crime scene. Sorry. Kind of. That's what it seems like. But I didn't remove the bullet from underneath his body. That's not smart. The podcaster and his wife, the journalist, there is a shot of them on their couch where there's what appears to be about a thousand 
candles. Yeah, it's one of those, what would you call that kind of tray that's like a really long, thin tray? It's like a two by four. And then it has just candles in various stages of being melted down. Some have been used more than others. It must get very hot. So many. So many. I did not see the tray. I'm picturing like a trough, but not with as high of a wall, uh, just a little lip. You saw a tray? No, I'm just picturing. Oh, so it could be on the table. It could just be a table filled with candle wax. It could be on the table, but again, that's just not wise. There's just wax going to be everywhere. No, there has to be a tray. I kind of liked the look. I kind of want to steal it. It looks like a Guns N' Roses music video. That's what I'm why I'm commenting on. It. It's very gothic. Yeah, I kind of want it now, but I don't know how you decide which candles you light and which ones you don't. You got to keep them kind of in that uneven. You don't want them all burning at the same level. You want it to be asymmetrical. So I think you use different brands. Number one, you use things that burn faster and slower. I would want all the same scent. Oh, definitely all unscented. Those are not scented candles. Yeah. Unscented. Okay. Yeah. I don't really get the point of unscented candles, to be honest. So, but if you're burning that many, you're doing it for the look. You're not, maybe you have one that's scented that's burning, but the rest, if you were burning 30 candles. No, it's overpowering. Yeah. It's going to blow your nose out. Scott Mitchell, the NFL player is seen doing a radio interview because he's a ex-quarterback and he's struggling to put the headphones on. And I thought it was kind of cute. That's cute. He's like this big, huge guy, ex-quarterback, and he can't put the headphones on. It was kind of fun. And then we have Nate and Eric both typing at their laptops. And then we have Chad's friend looking through an old yearbook. And that's pretty much it. I forgot about that one. And Melanie is outside on her phone the whole time. They use that same shot the whole time. And then I do have one fashion police from someone who's only in the beginning. Okay. Which is the police interview. I believe her name is Cassandra. And she has really long, thick red hair. And I thought it was so pretty. The detective, female detective. She never speaks in the interview. Yeah, they only the guy detective speaks. Yeah. Well, Tylee in the interview with the police is wearing a shirt that says Kauai. Oh, yeah. Just like her mom with Hawaii on the butt. And singing Moana. Mm-hmm. They like Hawaii. It's all Hawaii. Charles's brothers. Next time. Save for next. Okay. There's much more to come, everybody. Yeah. So much more to come. Oh, I'm excited. And then we'll do Twitter next time. Yeah. Because it sounds like there's some good stuff. Oh, boy. Okay. Stay tuned. Yay. Woohoo. Thank you, everybody. We never get to have a cliffhanger. I'm so excited. Is there something we can say really dramatic to end it? Yeah. You don't want to miss Zulema. Okay. Yeah. We've been talking about her for months. And she has a fascinating story. Is she a professional cuddler? Professional cuddler, bender of elements, Zulema. Right. Impossible witch. I can't wait. So excited. But a Christian witch. I don't know. I don't know how it works. I'm excited. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, everybody. Bye, everybody. Thank you.